Welcome to the Data Center Fishbowl Podcast. Here we take an irreverent look at the data center landscape so you don't have to. We'll have interviews with thought leaders as well as people who are just getting started. This episode is brought to you by Agile Data Sites. If you're looking for a cloud, co-location, or network provider with a full suite of data center options, Agile has you covered. With data centers in Princeton, New Jersey, Allentown, Pennsylvania, Agile can provide geographically diverse disaster recovery options. The new data center vaults provide ultra-high security private access suites. For more information, visit agiledatasites.com. First, let me introduce myself. My name is Drew Farnsworth, and I'm the big dumb idiot who decided to make a podcast about data centers. No, I've actually been working in the data center industry for about 10 years. I've been a consultant to several Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies. I have been working in energy efficiency and data center optimization. I've helped to reduce carbon emissions by, I've calculated and and other people have checked my work, uh, by more than 3,000 tons per year at just one site. And my goal with this podcast is to reach out to everyone who is in the data center field, share knowledge, make connections, make sure that the thought leadership and intelligence that's siloed all over the country, all over the world, can be shared and can be disseminated because we're all in this together. As much as we're all competing, because of the nature of this industry, we all have to rely on each other. I mean, they call it the internet. So... Here we are, the internet collectively, and if we don't band together, some of our time is going to be worthless. I, I, I know everybody who I've ever worked with is deeply enmeshed with other companies. Every MSP, every ISP, every data center operator, they're all reliant on each other. And as much as that's <laughs> it's a hippy-dippy nonsense, the fact is that it's true. Who cares if it's hippy-dippy nonsense? We are in a position as an industry to help each other. Oh, man, I do sound hippy-dippy. That's ridiculous. But regardless, <laughs> uh, that's my goal here. And uh, it's it's a simple message that I have. Uh, and that we're going to have as a podcast uh, that anybody who would like to get their message out is welcome to contact me and ask for a spot on the show. And we can either bring you to our New Jersey offices or uh, we can do something over Skype. Either way works. Uh, I like bringing people in. I like being face-to-face. Um, but... Uh, we we will talk to anyone. We'll talk to uh, CEOs of you know Fortune 100 companies, or we'll talk to um, Joe Sh- Joe Schmo startup, which uh, I don't know if anybody's been to JoeSchmo.com, but it's terrific. Um, so without further ado, let's begin. Data center. Fishbowl. This episode is sponsored by GreenLane Design. GreenLane is a one-stop turnkey data center design company focusing on high efficiency and green technology. 
They've designed, built, and or commissioned dozens of high-reliability data centers starting from the bottom up. For more information, go to GreenLaneDesign.com. News. Apparently, Qualcomm has just come out with a 10 nanometer server processor. Uh, they uh, are now using a 10 nanometer process, and you know that's actually uh, the first chip, uh, according to DatacenterKnowledge.com, uh, purpose-built for performance-oriented data center applications, uh, which is great. I mean, you know, a great thing about uh, reducing the die size. So uh, going from, let's say, 14 nanometers to 10 nanometers uh, is that you can cram more stuff into a given server, which is um, one, of the, <laughs> one of the keystones of, of the current movement to consolidate data centers into a smaller footprint. And in this case, when you take a server that would otherwise take up, let's say, four U, and you're able to do it in one U uh, with the same processing ability, that is great for data center real estate, but it does have a drawback you start to have this heat density that is difficult to maintain. Uh, I'm starting to wonder personally if the data center landscape can really support the type of density that is required. I see a lot of racks out there that are half full, a quarter full. Um, you know, unless you are coming with the best possible data center infrastructure, it's really hard to justify those incredibly high densities. But the nice thing about the uh, 10 nanometer process is that it actually reduces the heat load. Uh, you can get more processing power and it increases the efficiency, uh, which is really what we're all looking at. You know, it's not just the footprint that matters, it's also the heat load. And processors have really improved the efficiency of the processors. Like, um, for instance, uh, you know, we can, we can look at the Snapdragon processors or uh, some of the processors that are going into phones now. The ability to do the same amount of computation as was uh, possible at a, in a desktop and uh, that is only going to expand. It really looks like uh, the die size is going to probably flatline. Uh, the the uh, ability to go any smaller is probably limited by quantum physics. Uh, the The fact is that you know that there's not that much um, that can be done to to reduce the die size because there's going to be quantum interference. Uh, part of the problem is there's electron tunneling at uh, die sizes much smaller than that. The electrons that are passing through the silicon gates actually end up jumping from one gate to another. So it's almost like you hear static on the line, except it's digital static. And uh, the, the error correction that is required ends up surpassing the amount of performance that you get from the chip. So there's diminishing returns to the point where it's entirely possible that there's almost no point in going much smaller. Uh, the funny thing about 
reducing the die size. And, and what Qualcomm has done is they have actually uh, changed the way that they're um, creating the chip. They're, they've created a 3D architecture, which is called uh, it's called Centrique, and it's fabricating using what Qualcomm is calling the FinFET process, which is uh, it's a way of taking the electrons um, and printing processors and layers so so that um, instead of just being a single layer, there's actually multiple layers within the same planar substrate. And that really allows for a reduction in the leakage between two different pieces of the architecture. So it, you can run at a lower voltage and that means that you can implement that smaller lithography process, which is great. I mean, it, you know, it, as we get smaller in the process, we get more efficiency out of our chips. And that, you know, in terms of Moore's Law, Moore's Law is, is a tough one. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, Moore's Law, well, God, everybody should know who's listening to this. <laughs> but... Uh, Moore's law is the concept that processor power is increasing exponentially, exponentially. For a long time, it was doubling every 18 months. Uh, that has slowed down, and it will probably continue to slow down. But it is still doubling. It is still an exponential growth. Uh, part of the problem is that we have had to change from, you know, the, the change from single-core processors with a single thread, so uh, serial processing, <clears throat> one, <coughs> pardon, one process leading to the next, leading to the next, one at a time, is being replaced by multi-cores and, and parallel processes so that, you know, there's almost a fork in the path and some processes go to one core and some go to the other, some go to the other, and the only way to increase the amount of computation that happens out of that kind of an architecture is actually to make more and more cores. So uh, a little while ago, uh, you know, Intel is making these 72-core chips that um, they're, they're Sandy Bridge and Knightsbridge uh, architectures where they have just this these very large dies with a lot of cores on them. Each one's only running at maybe 1 gigahertz, but taken into totality, they have an awful lot of processing power, and that makes sense for certain applications. The more that you can have a, a fast mesh of memory between all those processors, the more that you can run uh, a lot of different computations on the same chip. So there are certain types of processes, uh, let's say for instance, a multi-threaded supercomputing algorithm, you know, that actually can run on some fairly dumb <laughs> uh, processing threads, but as long as they have a fast networked mesh between them, they can spread that data across and actually, uh, if each one of the computations is not that complicated, but in totality, because of the way that the algorithm is running, they can spread that load out, they can actually be much more efficient 
that's how GPUs work. Think of graph, you know, <laughs> you think of, uh, it's a great example actually. Uh, you think of your computer screen, each one of those pixels could literally be its own processing core. Uh, that's not efficient, but if you had a way to budget the processing capability, you know, you could cut that screen up uh, a million times as long as they were all coordinated together geometrically. Uh, that's one way that they get through that graphic processing power. It's a combination of shaders and breaking up the um, the actual screen rendering time. And that isn't limited to graphical processing. The example I like to give is actually uh, from the if you could imagine a Civil War firing line, right? That is a bunch of different processors all working separately. That would be like parallel processing. You know, each one of those muskets is not that fast at shooting. You know, each one can shoot uh, maybe one every one shot every 20 seconds. But if you put a thousand of those together, you get a thousand shots every 20 seconds. That's faster than any machine gun that we have right now. But we have some pretty fast machine guns. So if you think of a machine gun as being a serial process, that barrel only shoots one round at a time versus each, you know, but, but it does it very quickly versus a firing line where each one of those muskets shoots a lot uh, you know it shoots one bullet but there are so many of them you can see how sometimes in certain situations having those muskets is actually preferable to the machine gun now you can imagine though that each one of those muskets you upgrade those to m16s and you get an order of magnitude increase so by doing both by making each processing core faster and also making more cores, we're, we're improving our process. But there's a limit, you know, it, it's, it's not going to continue forever. And uh, this new Cintiq architecture is great, but we're still going to run up against Moore's Law eventually. In other news, uh, apparently Verizon is selling all of its data centers, and that's something that a lot of people probably know. Verizon is not exactly a data center company. They've been a telecom company first and foremost for a very long time. Everybody knows that, but their data center business has brought them some money. There are a lot of big name tenants that are at Verizon. And most people attribute this to the growth of the cloud, mostly AWS, but also Azure and uh, some of the other big players. Uh, you know, it, it's a difficult business, data centers, because it's very capital intensive and the cloud, in terms of the economies of scale that come from the cloud, and the fact that uh, you can standardize servers, you can use cheap servers, commodity parts, and interchange them very simply and easily, it's very hard for other companies to keep up with that. Uh, you know, in, in terms of the economies of the air conditioning systems and the economies of the maintenance requirements. You know, <laughs> cloud is... is a real big force. It's almost like um, 
comparison might be for electric companies that for a long time almost everybody owned their own generator to generate electricity but uh, then probably around the 1920s uh, that started to consolidate and get bigger and bigger and bigger and instead of having small generators you had big generation plants and that continued to grow we moved from small generators like coal-powered to nuclear power plants, hydroelectric. And it's a similar thing with the data centers. Some of this stuff gets commoditized and consolidated. Uh, it, you get some of those economies of scale at the cloud level. I say that, but the fact is that it's a very complicated landscape. And it is changing very quickly. And a number of large companies have sold out of the data center business. But there are still portions of that business that are very much required for companies. For instance, the network portion. Each network has to land at a data center, and the interconnects, the network access points, that becomes a huge, huge business and moneymaker so that businesses can drop onto your network and then uh, connect to, uh, in the case of Equinix, 280 carriers. Uh, that is a data center business. And that's why, likely, it was Equinix who bought Verizon. And it's not just network access points. The, the other part of the business is actually in services and some of the economies of scale that be, can be realized actually aren't necessarily from the milk toast regular co-location. It's actually from the high-performance computing and uh, certain other functions that can get very, very expensive in the cloud. And a lot of times it's the cloud companies that need that kind of co-location. There are a number of boutique cloud high-performance computing companies. Uh, one of the ones that, that uh, I've got to know is called Sable Core. They're based out of Florida. And they have uh, a cloud-based HPC design that leverages a mixture of GPUs, CPUs, and that requires somewhere around 20 to 30 kW per rack. Normal co-location can't really do that. It's very difficult to get that kind of economy of scale uh, in a normal, traditional, old-school data center. Most data centers are designed for between 5 and 10 kW per rack. And even then, that's kind of a stretch. Uh, as things have moved forward, the data center, center industry has caught up a lot. It's, um, it's a very competitive landscape. So a lot of data centers now, especially out west, the west coast is very different from the east coast. The east coast is, in this funny way, a, a, a dinosaur, at least large swaths of it, um, especially, I would say, centered on New York City, um, where these entrenched interests have just somehow been able to charge financial institutions and uh, large companies that are based in New York in that area 
for data center space that really is subpar. Uh, you know, they've had the same equipment since the 70s. Or, you know, they've updated it, but, but it's the same basic infrastructure. And they really can't compete in this cloud computing and HPC space. So that traditional raised floor design concept is probably going to go the, you know, give up the ghost. So it's, it's, that's not where the growth is. The growth is in high density, high reliability uh, data center space. And, and I say high reliability, but it's actually even more important is high connectivity. Uh, more and more providers and, and cloud providers are relying on not so much the reliability of the data center itself, but the ability to switch from one data center to another seamlessly. So we talk about data center tiers, you know, tier one, tier two, tier three. That becomes so much less important as we can get additional reliability at the application level. So uh, give an example. Netflix, they have a bunch of different data centers all over the country. And their application works to self-correct. So if they were to lose an entire data center, everything would remain functional. Maybe somebody's picture would get blurry, but they would still be able to connect to whatever video they're watching without a stutter by switching automatically to another data center. And in that way, you actually save money on the electricity costs. And also, some of that infrastructure gets very expensive um, to keep that ultra-high reliability. It still has to be incredibly reliable, uh, N plus N, UPS, everything like that. But um, it becomes less of a driver as regionality, edge connection, location, and connectivity. So the real drivers right now in the industry are that high density and the uh, high connectivity. And it's, it's not necessarily the same buyers as it used to be. It used to be that all of the buyers were of co-location were uh, large enterprise clients. And now we're seeing much more. There are boutique cloud providers. There are... Uh, small-scale businesses that, smaller scale, not tiny, but, you know, there are Azure shops, there are OpenStack shops that are able to leverage their small size to create private clouds that, um, in, in, in that way, I, by private cloud, I should define, private cloud is a cloud architecture like Azure or uh, OpenStack um, that operates within hardware that is either owned by you or is controlled entirely by you. Uh, so it could be bare metal provisioning, as in they just give you the server and, and that's it. The, you are able to install all of your own software on it. Or instead of bare metal provisioning, you actually own the hardware itself. That is really the 
part of the future of data centers is to um, allow that cloud growth and to be able to scale up and down easily and in a moment's notice. There are a lot of opportunities for smaller companies in that space. But it's akin, as I was talking about before, to the electricity argument. The electric companies uh, do control the grid. That's still the case. But there are small players within that space. There are a number of small utilities, municipal utilities, electric utilities out there. And not only that, but you also have backup generators. You have you every building in this country that is large enough has to have a life safety generator. So it's not if it generators went away. It's not as if those small scale generators just simply evaporated. It's just that they had to change their delivery model from a small grid to a delivery model that included, um, you know, connecting directly to the building. This stuff changed very quickly. And I'll tell you this right now. It will take one hack of the infrastructure behind Google or Amazon or Azure until companies flee like rats from a sinking ship from the large cloud providers of the world. I don't know if that would ever happen, and God, I hope it doesn't, because it would sink the world's economy. But we all have to be aware that there are constraints and trade-offs to all this stuff. It's entirely possible that everything will consolidate even further, but it's also entirely possible that we will remain in this basic steady state for a while where there's a, a good mixture of large public clouds, small private clouds, enterprise co-location, enterprise data centers. Uh, one trend that we definitely do see is the exodus from uh, enterprise data centers, especially small enterprise data centers, to co-location because enterprise data centers are so often, even in incredibly large businesses, I've been in a few that are just abysmal. Uh, that's not their core business. They aren't data center companies. And so they've just lost track of it. They are not keeping up with the cooling requirements, the DCIM requirements, and they're just wasting ungodly amounts of money and leaving themselves unsecured. I've seen data centers that are basically closets that are full of cardboard boxes that uh, are rat's nest under the floor. It's a very difficult business to be in, data centers. And, uh, you know, we're all along for the ride and just trying to work together, trying to make sure that 
we bring everybody along for the ride. Well, I think that does it for me today. Uh, please join us again next week. Um, we're planning to have some very interesting interviews. Um, we are planning to talk about uh, more specific equipment and uh, not just the news, but to go in depth with more uh, topical information to talk to entrepreneurs, to talk to subject matter experts, and really to drive a conversation about how to make this internet of ours a better place. So <laughs> I'm gonna, I have this stupid sign off that I'm gonna do, but I'll do it anyway. Um, and I, I just wanna Podcast say that I was appreciate by everybody Agile for listening. Data sites in Greenlane Designs. Until next time. Stay our centered. logo is by Meadrew Farnsworth. And our music is by Chris Zabriskie.